I'm Brett Coleman, and you're listening to the Sounds of the Loon Podcast. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you, and a very special, I guess it's good morning. It's 11.48. Good morning to everyone here at Brits enjoying the World Cup. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson. With me, for the first time in several weeks, is the globetrotting Callum Williams. Cal, do they still drive on the wrong side in England? What's up over there? <laughs> yes, we do. Although I didn't partake in any because I thought, well, I'm far too used to driving on, on the, uh, in inverted commas, right-hand side of the road now. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but we, we do. We drive on the wrong side of the road. Is it, is it tough to make that adjustment? Did you really feel like you weren't going to be able to go back to driving on the incorrect side? Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 I do remember, Steve, when I first started driving over here, um, that I got it wrong completely. I remember being in Kansas City and driving literally on the wrong side <laughs> of the road for a, for a good 20 seconds. Were people honking at you? And uh, Well, I was fortunate because there was no cars around. It was up until I, I got up to a set of traffic lights and saw that if I were to carry on, I would go straight into a set of cars. So I kind of thought, yeah, I'm doing this the wrong way around, right. aren't I? Yeah, I was very, very lucky because I could have got very nasty. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, England, though, and your, your time there. Before The last time we spoke on the podcast, you were talking about uh, the chance to get to watch some World Cup games in England and how you were looking forward to that. How was the experience of going out to the pubs and, and checking out some matches? It was great. Um, just felt like home. You know, it's always nice to go back. And, uh, you know, even before we talk about the football and whatnot, it was just nice uh, to go and catch up with friends and family and, um, you know, have a kind of a cup of tea with my grandmother, you know, things that I just can't do anymore. And it was really nice. You're um, so British. A cup of tea <laughs> with, the gra- with the grandmother. <laughs> well, in case you haven't noticed, um, but no, from a, from a you know watching the World Cup point of view and everything, it was it was fantastic, Steve. I mean, um, you know that part of the world is just so wrapped up with with soccer, and uh, you know the, this is the most important thing going on in the world right now. And um, you know it was just uh, fabulous to, to go out to to a lot of pubs and hang out with a lot of lot of friends and um, watch some absolutely invigorating games. Um, I think that my, my favourite part of of going back and watching games there was on uh, one particular Friday evening when it was uh, Portugal against Spain. Highly anticipated game, everyone was looking forward to it. Uh, met up with my, my best friend in the whole world, Carl, and, and we had a, you know, a couple of beers, watched the game, and, and very much enjoyed each other's company. And it was, um, it was just nice, it was really, really nice. And you know, we, we were sort of speaking earlier, weren't we, about you know, we, we can get so wrapped up in, in, in working in this industry because it is just a part of your life. So from time to time, it is nice to get away and, and get away and watch some more football. <laughs> yeah, right. Some different football. Yeah, I've uh, I watched a lot of the games. It's interesting here uh, with the games being on so early. You sort of wake up and think, you look at your phone, you're like, oh, this game's already going. And, and you know, you have your coffee. Sometimes you sit down and watch it by yourself. You know, maybe your family doesn't understand the need to watch, you know, some soccer at seven in the morning. Of course so. you want to watch Saudi Arabia, Egypt at seven in the morning. <laughs> who, would, who would want to miss that? So uh, it's, it's fun because it's both enjoyable socially to go out and hang out with people like we're doing here at Brits or, uh, you know, watch by yourself, really get invested in the game. What, so let's talk a little bit about the actual soccer itself. What were some of your favorite moments so far from the group stage? 
I think, as I mentioned, Steve, that, that Portugal-Spain game was absolutely astonishing. And we, we all knew it was going to be a good game. But the quality of soccer that was on show was it was fitting for the World Cup because it was the best football in the world. It was absolutely wonderful. And um, the, the one goal which stands out to me was, was the goal from, from Nacho, the fullback for, for Spain, when it was sort of bouncing on the edge of the 18. And it, I mean, it, it's begging to be hit. It really is. Um, and out of nowhere comes the fullback and absolutely leathers it right into the top corner. I mean, he couldn't have hit it any better. And the, the pub that I was in, in in downtown Birmingham went absolutely ballistic. And, you know, there weren't really, um, to, to memory, there wasn't any Spain fans there. It was just people just appreciating the, sure. the quality sure. of the goal. And then, obviously, the Ronaldo free kick was, was absolutely magical. So um, that, that's a standout for me so far. Yeah. The thing that really stuck out to me with, uh, with Ronaldo's free kick was as you were watching him line it up and they, they showed that zoomed-in shot of him looking at the goal, you were like, this is going in. You just knew, didn't you? you? Just, it, was like, it was like watching a tiger. It was like when you're watching one of those like Planet Earth documentaries and they're like <laughs> stalking the prey. I mean, I just felt like you just, some guys, they're looking down, they're breathing, they're sort of collecting themselves. I felt like he was just dialed in. He was like, this is the moment to do this. And yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, one of my other favorites was uh, uh, Cruz's free kick against, uh, you know, the, the, for, for Germany. I thought that was, um, you know, sometimes I feel like when you watch soccer and you see set pieces, uh, free kicks or corners, there's an idea of what you want to do, but you rarely get to see it uh, always go exactly according to plan. But that felt like it, it was so precise, you know, to, to just that little knock, sets it up, Cruz drills into the corner. Yep. Just, just a beautiful thing to watch. Stunning. Just an absolutely stunning way to win any sort of game. Um, and, you know, Germany wouldn't have gone out had they not have scored it, but it would have been awfully tight in the next game for sure. them. So um, just another thrill about this World Cup. You know, there's so many big teams that have, have not delivered. Um, that, the, the thing is, Steve, as well, I don't think people realize that the technique that goes into something like that. You know, I mean, he's, uh, I think we, we saw a, a fabulous angle as well from just behind it. And you can really see the swerve and the dip and the movements of the ball as well. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's a fabulous free kick. It, it's worthy of winning any game in the world. Um, and, and look, this is why Tony Cross plays for, for Real Madrid. This is why he is one of the most coveted midfielders in the world. This is why he delivers on the big stage, because he can do things like this. But also the other part of his game is absolutely wonderful as well. So um, just again, another magical moment. And the one thing which I, I, I love, Steve, about this is that we've seen so many absolutely fabulous moments so, already in this World Cup. Right. But we're only just getting started. We're, we're not even halfway <laughs> through it yet. I know, I know. So much more to come. I can't wait. Yeah, Cal, I, I think that I, I saw that there's been no nil-nil draws. There's, there's been scoring. Um, it's been... Yeah, soccer's boring, right? Uh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I do love seeing those tweets. People are like, oh, yeah, soccer's boring, right? Every one of these, you know, 4-3 wins or, you know, the, these games that, that where, the, where it's won in stoppage time. Um, it's, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Nigeria's win over, uh, over Iceland. Well, they're your team, um, aren't they? They are my team. I picked Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria is the team I'm, I'm pulling for. Belgium was the team that I picked to win it all ahead of time. But uh, I love... I, I, I love watching Nigeria. A, those kits still look amazing. I'm still trying to find mine, um, but uh, it's still sold out everywhere. Oh, they really are well. Yeah, I believe they shipped some. They sold something like three million of them in three minutes or something when wow. they, they went on sale. So, uh, so I'm still looking for mine. 
but it, it hasn't happened yet, which is okay. Uh, but it was great to watch uh, Musa also uh, come yep. alive. I'm also a Leicester City fan, so it's oh, sort of... Oh, was that the same as I didn't yes, know that. Yes, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Have we not talked about this? So, so yeah, so it was, uh, that, that was good on two fronts for me, both for Nigeria and for Leicester City. So uh, I, I really liked... Um, there was somebody, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was, a friend of mine who wrote an article was talking about how much they disliked uh, Iceland's style. I like Iceland as an underdog, but a very conservative style, which, you know, I, hey, you know, they have an identity, which is, which is terrific. Um, but I, wait. <laughs> That's, uh, okay, sorry, Just sorry. in terms of view, watching football, um, I like, I do like the counterattack. As somebody who always liked fast break basketball, I like the counterattack. So, but I... Th- I feel like you're going to defend Iceland here. Yeah, I, I don't understand. What, what, what does that even mean? Like what, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm baffled that. I, I don't understand that. I mean, look, it's end of the day, it's a tournament, and you do what you can to beat your specific opponents on that day. Absolutely. And Iceland's, look, we, we know they're a very limited uh, country in, in, in terms of what they have available to them. Um, they, they've gotten better every year, and, and more people are now taking uh, notice of Iceland on the world football stage. And... There, there are more people, uh, more players going over to Europe and, and, uh, and elsewhere across the world, which is great. Um, but to, to say they don't like their, uh, their style, come on, for goodness <laughs> sake. It's, it's, it's a country with limited resources. Sure. They're playing in the World Cup. Right. Just let them do their thing, for goodness sake. Right. I, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I understand it from an aesthetic perspective. I think it's, I, Iceland should do what they need to do to win the games. If, if, you know? if, it, if we're saying this about someone like Argentina, I get it. Okay. But come on, it's Iceland, for goodness sure. sake. Let them do what they're doing. Sure. It's great that they're in the tournaments. They are more than happy to be there. Well, and I really enjoyed watching... Uh, well, let's talk about Costa Rica a little bit and our man, uh, Francisco Calvo, uh, my large adult son. So, um, it, again, it, seeing that matchup against Brazil, I really enjoyed that 0-0 game for, <laughs> for, for 90 minutes, you know, yeah. because I did feel like Costa Rica really, you know, was playing defensively. Uh, they were sort of stalwart in defense, and Brazil was just pinging the ball around the pitch. It was really fun to watch those two styles colliding, and that's one thing that I think we've talked about before is, is the World Cup is an opportunity to really see. You often watch a, a league, and a league sort of has an overall style, um, a sort of approach that most of the teams will go toward. Watching the World Cup, you really get to see a clash of, of playing styles on a big stage, which is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And Brazil got very frustrated, didn't they, because they couldn't get through that, that Costa Rican brick wall and... Um, you know, I, I thought Costa Rica did themselves um, no harm at all. I mean, obviously, the, end of the, the, the results has uh, effectively eliminated them. But, I mean, from a, from a world football point of view and, and a reputation standpoint, I, I thought they matched Brazil for a long time. And, and look, at the end of the day, it required two very good goals from, from two of their, their superstars to, to get the better of them. So, and this is why you have these types of players uh, on, on your roster, because they can produce moments of magic. And, I mean, Philip Coutinho has been wonderful for Brazil. Um, since the tournament started, and uh, Neymar, I think, has been a little bit of in, inconsistent. But you know, against um, against Costa Rica, he got a bit frustrated. But there was that one little moment when um, he flicked the ball over the head of the player. I can't remember who it was, um, and and I just thought that's that's Neymar now back to his back to his best. He wants to play now, and yeah. uh, there's an element of freedom with him when he can go and play like that. And uh, we're going to see that in a, in a Nike ad. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure so. we will. Yeah, I'm sure we will. So. <laughs> Look, I mean, uh, Brazil, uh, again, you, you can never count out the Brazilians in a tournament like this. Um, they're always there or thereabouts, uh, and I believe they'll, they'll be the, the same again. I, I don't have them to win it, but um, wouldn't surprise me if they got to the final. Yeah, so uh, Costa Rica plays their, their last match of the tournament on Wednesday, June 27th at 1 p.m. Um, what remains for them? I mean, 
you know, they didn't get as far as they'd like to, obviously. Yep. Um, but what remains for them to do in that game? And, and you know, we, we saw Calvo come in as a late sub. Um, but, you know, I thought he had a good first game overall, despite yep. the disappointing result. I mean, what do you think this means for Costa Rica? What does it mean for Calvo? What do they have to play for right now? Well, obviously, all the players will want to remain in the manager's mindset moving forward long term. Um, there'll be a lot of that in the back of people's mindsets. There's no doubt about that. Um, but, I mean, look, more than anything, Steve, it's, it's pride. You're playing for your country. And as we saw earlier this morning with Saudi Arabia, Egypt, you want to, to get yourself a victory in the tournament if you can. Now, obviously, Saudi Arabia haven't qualified for, for the next round. But they will always be able to say, all those players involved in that game against Egypt today will always be able to say, I won a game at a World Cup. You want that on your resume. You want that in your mind for the rest of your life. And um, no doubt that'll be in the mindset of many Costa Ricans. So what's been the biggest surprise for you so far uh, in the group stage? Um, where do we start my words? Um, I think um, the, the inability of Argentina, um, and I know I'm not exactly uh, <laughs> breaking any news there, but um, the fact that they were so easily dismantled by Croatia. Croatia are a very good team, but Argentina should be leaps and bounds ahead of them with the players they have. And the thing about Argentina, Steve, I saw this, someone suggested this a, a little while ago, um, and now having seen them play in the tournament, I don't disagree. They are getting older. They're not perhaps as, as, as athletic as they, as they were. Um, there are one or two players in there that it's questionable that they're in the starting 11. There are one or two players who are obviously underperforming. So it's a mixture of, of just about everything with Argentina. Um, and I'll be interested to get a lot of people's opinions on this as well, because in my opinion now, the, the, the debate is, is settled for, for best player in the world. Um, I, you know, I, I understand why people said Messi in the past. I was always a Ronaldo believer. Um, now here, seeing it at the biggest stage, um, Ronaldo for me is, is ahead of Messi. Messi has had many an opportunity to deliver at the, at the biggest stage. And, and of course, he's, he's won Champions Leagues, he's won Copa del Rey, he's won La Ligas with Barcelona. But... Um, for Argentina, it just doesn't seem to work. Um, you know, and look, he's, he's been sensational for them um, for, for many a year. But when it comes to the World Cup, I know they got to the final last year, uh, last uh, go-around rather, but he's not been able to deliver when it really, really matters. Every team has got the one guy they can rely on, um, whether that be Mo Salah for, for Egypt or, or whether that be Harry Kane for England or something. You know, you've always got the the one player you can turn to in your time of needs. Messi is that player for Argentina. But what happens when that player doesn't deliver? We're seeing an example of that right now with Argentina. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I feel, I feel sort of divided internally in thinking about it because on the one hand, seeing how much the entire team has struggled, the issues they've gone through in terms of you know, coaching and, and consistency and, and, and what's happened with just you know, soccer in general in Argentina and the struggles there, um, and you look at the supporting cast he has versus Ronaldo's supporting cast, you know, it, it's a little, it seems a little unfair to conclude that, it, based on this, that Ronaldo is the best in the world right now. But on the other hand, you also saw him miss a penalty kick, you know, right, like right. in that moment when you need to step up. And that's, you know, that's tough. I mean, I, I see the parallels, obviously, as somebody who's come from basketball, where you think mm -hmm. about, like, what is the, who's around him in these debates about, you know, LeBron making super teams, right, right. super teams in the Warriors versus the Bulls. But yep. it's not like Michael Jordan did it on his own. He had Scottie Pippen. He had some sure. of the other greats. So 
I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's tough for a player because it's a team game. It's also an individual game when you have that moment to step up and hit a penalty kick. I mean, that's really when you got to... You got to hit that kick. <laughs> uh, oh, absolutely, Steve. But, but I, would, I would also argue that the the supporting cast, as you say, um, around uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, is no better than the supporting cast around Lionel Messi. Sure. So, what, so why is Ronaldo doing it, and Messi isn't? Yeah. I I mean I think that I think you couldn't argue against the talent on either team. I think that some of the question is about how it's organized and how how it's utilized. I think on the pitch. Again, it comes down to the coach. And and look, this this sure. seems to be the the issue with Argentina right now, there are rumors of them having a, all the players having a meeting um, with the Argentine Football Association uh, suits or the people in charge saying, we don't want Sampoli, we, we don't want him in charge anymore. Um, obviously, he, he remains in charge. I, I don't think he will be after the tournament, but, um, you know, obviously, um, it, it, it's how you utilize your players as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a happy place right now in the Argentine camp. And um, that, that, for me, is, is the biggest shock so far because a lot of people had them down to go all the way. So how shocked are you at England doing actually pretty well? Well, the thing is, Steve, I'm, I, I, obviously you, I'm, I'm very happy about What's your it. level of optimism right now, 1 to 10 um, I'm, for England? I'm, I'm subdued at the moment okay. because, I'm, look, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm happy. Like, it's been great. It's been really, really good to see them make uh, arguably the best start in, in their uh, World Cup history for a long time, at least for, in, in my recent memory anyway. Um, but what we've done is we, we've played, and I say this with all due respect, two fairly subpar teams. Uh, we only just about got a result against Tunisia because the Tunisians figured out how we played against them, and, and they were much more, um, much more sharper defensively in the second half. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for Panama, they just they didn't have the, the caliber of player to match up against England. So, um, look, I mean, I was delighted with beating six-one. That's fantastic. Like, I, I will never criticize anybody on the England national team for, for scoring six goals at a World Cup. Sure, that's not too shabby. It, it, it doesn't happen very often. So, um, I, I'm happy, Steve. But the, the real test will now be over the next couple of games. Because we play Belgium on Thursday, which is obviously going to be here at Brits Pub, and it'll be fantastic. Uh, can't wait to be here. Um, but it's a completely different level of quality or opposition. Sure. Um, and then obviously if we go in um, as group winners or group runners up into the round of 16, that's when, again, you're playing more quality. So um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic right now. I'm, I'm very happy with what we've done so far. Gareth Southgate deserves a tremendous round of applause, as do the players. Um, but the system that England plays, Steve, it's, it's something we've not done before. And I'm so happy because in England, we, we very often get accused of, um, of being rather stale from a tactical point of view. Sure. Um, for so many years, we played a 4-4-2. And, and only recently have we started sort of playing a, almost like a 4-2-3-1, um, you know, similar to what Minnesota United play. And, and now we've, we play with five at the back. That's mm -hmm. never happened before. And I remember the British press being, um, being slightly caught off guard and saying, well, we, we don't do this. We're British. We, we don't play with three at the back. You know? we're, we're very staunch and, and, and we're, we're an aggressive footballing nation. We don't, we don't play tiki-taka football. We, right. you know, we, we, we do what we do. We're English. Um, but such is the, the manner of the game nowadays and, and the, the technical skills involved in it nowadays and everything moving on. You can't afford to play old-fashioned football anymore if you are going to progress to, to a certain point of, of view. Like, you, you know, if, you're, um, if you think it'll, it'll help you against a certain opponent, then fair enough. But the, the team that England have assembled, 
I, I love what we're doing, and I love the fact that we are now finally moving into a new era um, and playing a new genre of soccer. And uh, I, I'm really, really excited to see what, what happens, not, not only over the next few weeks, but the next few years, because we have a young team. We're, we're the second youngest team in the tournament uh, behind your boys, Nigeria. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this England team can conjure up over the coming years. Yeah, let's, uh, let's look a little bit at the, the end of the group stage, because some uh, situations have, have been... Uh, prognosticated that could come about in which a group could be decided by yellow cards, um, which is fascinating to me. You know, I, I think just the fact that goal differential is even a thing. You know, I'm I, I, sure. again coming from this is the first World Cup that I've watched where I've been working in soccer, um, and I've 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 loved soccer and watching it for a long time, but I haven't gotten so involved that I'm thinking about goal differentials and things like if you're tied with goal differentials, then there's, there's various tiebreakers, which could ultimately come down to who got more yellow cards. Um, that's kind of amazing to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> this is, uh, again, the game sort of taking another step in, in another direction. Uh, this is FIFA trying out new things. Um, I'm all for new things and, and trying to improve the game, but let's not tinker with it too much. You know, it's, it's the most popular sport in the world. It's the world's game for a reason. Let's not tinker with it too much. So, um, I mean, I look, I, I wonder from a, a tactical point of view how, how much that sort of uh, knowledge plays its part in, uh, in, in certain players playing the way they do. do are certain players reserved? Are they, a little, um, are, are they a little more cautious? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, it seems like a thing you couldn't really play for. I mean, I... I don't know if you can really play with that in your mind. No, but, you know. but I mean, as, as someone, so for example, a defensive player, I mean, I, I wonder, is, is it in the back of your mind thinking if, you know, if I get a yellow card here, um, so, say for example, if, um, if a team is breaking away on a counter-attack, so one team's just had a corner, right. and they're breaking away, and you know, usually then you, you leave two or three players back in, in case this sort of thing happens. And we, we see it very often in, in football when um, someone with, with blistering paces away and then someone who's back there defending just grabs their jersey and pulls them down. Right, you take the yellow. You take the yellow card, yellow. absolutely. Right. I wonder if, if that's in the back of players' minds now thinking, I wonder if, so if I do this, I could potentially cost the team an awful lot. Yeah. It's going to be, I, I, I mean, I guess we'll see how it plays out that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's a relatively slim chance that it actually comes down right, to that. Right, right. So, um, oh, there goes your coffee. Well, my coffee's blown this away. This is the joys of recording outside on the lawn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> your coffee just leaves. Let's uh, think about uh, beyond the group stage, you know, looking ahead to knockouts, the knockout stage. Um, what's, who, who's your favorite now? Like, who, I mean, who was your favorite before the, the, the cup started? I'm trying to remember. I know we talked about it. It, it, it was France, and it still okay. is France. Okay. Um, I, I just think they're the most tournament-ready, Steve. They, they've got an abundance of players who are in their prime right now, all sort of between the ages of, of 24 and, and 31, um, they're, they're all in their prime, and they're all a, they're, they're a team of champions as well. They, these are players who have won um, La Liga, they, they've won the Premier League, the Champions League, FA Cups, Copa del Rey, uh, Serie A. They, they've won everything. Sure. Um, that that doesn't happen on accident, you know. They, these are very very gifted players, and um, even, even when you you go down into the reserves as well, like there's, there's some really really class players and. So some of the players that didn't make it on, onto the World Cup roster, like um, Lacazette from Arsenal, I know didn't have a, a particularly fabulous year, but still someone I thought would be on the roster. Anthony Martial at Manchester United, I thought to myself, he's a shoe-in, no mm -hmm. problem at all, but he's not. So, again, it just um, it signals that the strength of this French team. Um, and, and, and for me, 
you know, I, I know they weren't exactly flattering um, against both Australia and Peru, but the difference is, Steve, we've seen so many big teams in this tournament so far that were um, that, that they were nowhere near the level you would expect them to be, and they've they've got some poor results. But the difference is with France, they've won both of their games. Now, for me, that's right. a sign of a good team where you don't necessarily play to the height of your ability, but you still win. Sure. So, do you feel like, in terms of that experience for players, you know, we talked a little bit about this with with Portugal and Ronaldo, and sort of the that knowing how to win in a tournament, uh, and and some of that. Uh, it, what is the difference for a team playing in a tournament, uh, you know, versus how players have to play throughout the year where they're playing, you know, match week after week? This is, how does that experience help them, do you think? Well, well everything's more short term, isn't it, obviously? Um, you know, you've only got a certain amount of games in a certain amount of time. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll use Major League Soccer, for example, shall we? I mean, it's, it's a game, it's a season rather, where, where there's, there's over 34 games. Right. Um, you can afford from time to time to slip up, you, you can afford from time to time to rest a player or two because there are so many games. It doesn't work like that in the tournament, you know? You, you've only got a certain amount of games and whilst I do think, uh, and I'll use England-Belgium for example, both sides have now qualified for, for the round of 16 uh, and the game on Thursday. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if one or two, if, if one or two players are rested. That wouldn't surprise me. Sure. Um, I don't know how it will go down with the players, I, I'm sure They'll want to get themselves uh, as many games as they can and play in the World Cup. But, but this is why you, you bring certain players to a tournament, because you, you want to use them against certain opponents as well. So um, it, it's an interesting, um, it, it's a really, really interesting thought about players being rested and whatnot in, a, in such a massive tournament. Um, but as I said, this, this is why you bring uh, 23 players. This is why you bring certain players for, for certain opponents. So... Um, it, it, it's intriguing, Steve. It, it really, really is. And um, as we said earlier on, it's, it's only just getting started as well. We're, we're nowhere near finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still continue to like Belgium. I mean, obviously, they've, they've looked so very what, good. So why Belgium for you then? Well, uh, first of all, I like Belgian beer. Well, um, yes, okay. I'm with you there. I really enjoy uh, French fries also. Okay. <laughs> uh, they have excellent French fries. And Mussels is also a favorite of mine. Mussels uh, or Brussels? Uh, <laughs> the Mussels and Brussels are fantastic. Um, I also like, uh, I enjoy Kevin De Bruyne. Um, De Bruyne is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's great. Uh, I like Lukaku a lot. Yep. I know he's picked up a knock, so, uh, you know. But see, this is what I'm saying. Like, I think he'll be rested for the England game. Right, right. Um, you know, I think, that, I think that my gut reason for picking Belgium beyond all those gut reasons that involve beer and, and french fries, is uh, I like dark horses, and I felt like they were sort of a, a dark horse of the favorites before the tournament started. Okay. Um, you know, like not, uh, not necessarily the most obvious choices, but still a very good team. So uh, I wanted a team that could, I mean, again, I, Nigeria is my, my sympathetic favorite for rooting for, but uh, I don't necessarily expect them to make the final. So No, no. I, I think a lot of the African nations have, have struggled. Um, at least they started off, off struggling, and it was only Senegal who had, who had won their opening game. Um, Senegal looks pretty good, though. Yeah, I mean, the, in my opinion, the, the, the darkest of dark horses, perhaps Senegal, because um, this is their first World Cup since 2002. Yeah. And I remember them in that World Cup, and, and they were a really good team. I think they got to the round of 16. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, with, when, when you have somebody of the ability of Sadio Mane, mm -hmm. um, obviously he was flying for Liverpool in the Premier League this, this past campaign, um, you're, you're always in with a chance. But again, but we go back to this, you know, Teams have always got this one player to, to look to in their time of needs. Um, I, I think it's great to have that player, but you, you need something more. And I think Senegal do have a couple of more interesting little pieces. So Senegal could be interesting. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that group, in my opinion, Group H, 
Um, you know, we always have a, a group of death in the World Cup, and no one said there was this year. That was it for me because sure. with Japan and Colombia in there as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a fascinating group. It really is. Yeah, Senegal was also a lot of fun to watch with uh, you know their sort of prepping, you know the the, the, the dancing. Oh, the dancing uh, was fabulous. The warm up was yeah. fantastic. There's a lot of those little moments, which again, it's one of those things that the World Cup is so great for. Like, you know, watching the the the. Panama team singing their national anthem, and yep. you know that was a very emotional moment. Uh, that that kind of stuff is is brings a, f a a flavor and a sort of deeper level to watching the games beyond simply yep. you know seeing some of the best soccer in the world. It means so. so much to people. It really, really does. It's uh, I remember seeing someone uh, tweeting out uh, the the Panama uh, television station. Uh, and the analysts that they had and whatnot back in, the, I, I'm not sure if they were in Panama or they were actually in Moscow, I, I don't know, but um, the studio they were in and all of them were, were in tears during yeah. the national anthem. And it, yeah, it, I saw it, that clip too. Is, this, I, I say this so many times, Steve, it's not just a game. Yeah. It means everything this sport does. Yeah. Um, and, and especially to, to nations that, that have that opportunity as well. The first ever World Cup, I mean, it's fabulous. It, it, it's so much more than a game. Yeah. Uh, so let's touch briefly, as briefly as possible, on uh, the loss of Colorado uh, by our own Minnesota United on Saturday. The less said about that, the better. But is, is there any uh, uh, major takeaways you have from that game? Uh, not good enough. Simply not good enough, Steve. Um, they all know that. The, the team bus on Sunday morning as we were going to the airport was very subdued. Sure. Um, people know that if you are going to get into the postseason, those are the types of games that you need to win. Um, the most infuriating part about it for me was the fact that Minnesota United had so many opportunities, particularly in the first half, and they didn't take as many of them as they should have done. Um, the, um, the, the creativity I, I thought was lacking a little bit. I, I know Darwin Quintero was doing everything he could. He took the ball and, and, and tried to go through so many people, uh, perhaps did a little bit too much for me, but sure. I mean, you, you, you could sense the frustration from him. Um, just, just not good enough, Steve. And, and, and if Minnesota United are to get themselves into the postseason, you know, that they've now got a, a, a heck of a task ahead of them now. I know we've still got plenty of games coming up, but, you know, Dallas on Friday, to me, you have to win that game. Yeah. And Dallas have done very well that they've sort of um, reassembled themselves after what was a woeful 2017 campaign for their standards as well. Um, they've got some great players. I, I love little Mauro Diaz, the Argentine number mm -hmm. 10 who just floats around and picks little pockets and plays some, some really lovely through balls through. He's, he has um, sliced through so many MLS teams uh, since he's been at FC Dallas on, on many an occasion. Um, so he, he's the main danger man for me on Friday. But, um, you know, Minnesota United have got to step their game up, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's, I mean, the team has obviously struggled on the road. You know, I felt uh, sort of optimistic when we won our first road game. Yep. We have not won a road game since. Nope. So, uh, so that's tough. Uh, obviously, being home at TCF Bank Stadium will help out. Always helps. Um, you know, that's that's true for nearly every MLS squad, I believe. I think the Galaxy were a little out of unusual last year in that they performed better away from home. Yep. Um, but I think generally in, in, in MLS right now, it's just you got to win those home games, and this is definitely a game that the team has to win, right? You have to win these kind of games. Um, you know, and now, in my opinion, it's, it's time for players to step up. And since we, we last spoke, Steve, obviously, Adrian Heath came out and made the, the comments on Tuesday that uh, after the, the loss to Houston Dynamo, it was good for the team long term because he learned some valuable lessons, um, you know, in terms of, of, of players that, that didn't give him enough. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if fuel was added to that fire on Saturday evening. Sure. Um, I spent a little time with Adrian Heath afterwards, and, and obviously he wasn't happy. So... Um, 
could be an intriguing couple of weeks ahead for Minnesota United. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more as the transfer window is coming up, uh, opening on July 10th. Uh, we're not going to talk about it right now because we're almost out of time. But uh, thanks for joining us for the 16th Sound of the Loons podcast. Thanks, Brits, for having us. Uh, you guys are great. How's everybody's lunch? Good? <laughs> All right, yeah, let's hear it for the lunch. Um, Minnesota United returns home this Friday, June 29th, to face FC Dallas in their fifth annual Pride match, which kicks off at 7 p.m. Be sure to leave a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. That is the lowest star rating I will accept. Uh, follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliamsCom. You can follow me at Steve Venturis. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>